0: Which is, welcome in Latvian. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator of the podcast and your host for Daddy Unscripted. Thank you so much for joining me again for another interview. I hope you all enjoy today's guest on the podcast. I got one full, really full episode with this man, Terry Ogburn, And you will hear more about him and his life and his family history. I will give you the little warning. It gets a little heavy in this one, okay? So this one isn't all joking and entertainment, but there's some very interesting stories to be heard in this episode. There is some deep conversation about life and what it means in this episode, and also a little bit of the metaphysical side of life. Terry ended up bringing a lot of different things to the table than some of the previous guests, so I'm uh, really interested to hear what you all think about this conversation. So if you want to leave well, I'll give you all that at the end of the episode. Let's just cut to my conversation with Terry, because that's what you're here for. So without further ado, this is me with Terry Ogburn. All right. Well, we are here. Welcome to uh, all of our listeners as well um, for the people who are new coming aboard to Daddy Unscripted. And the guest we are bringing to you today is none other than Terry Ogburn. I want to make sure that I very formally welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So we will kind of go into your history and what uh, that means for fatherhood to you. So as far back as that makes sense for you to tell the very large story of that, I will uh, sit here and enjoy your story.
1: Okay, good. Growing up, my father was in the uh, Air Force. So my first nine years of my life was island hopping. So we went from Guam, Japan, Okinawa, Japan, I mean, uh, Hawaii, that type of thing. Uh, so growing up military life, you live on bases. So you just, you know, go from base to base to base type thing. And of course, that's a whole different lifestyle than being out in the public world. Uh, it wasn't until we came to uh, Tampa, Florida, because of um, the Bay of Pigs and the um, the conflict, Cuban crisis and all that stuff. We came here. My dad was part of the strategic air command. Um, and so uh, growing up with him was like, um, of course, I, we thought it was normal as kids, but uh, like one of the things that uh, he had a rule that if he was up, everybody was up. So once you got to be of school age, you, your wake up time was four thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. And his, his rule was that he believed you got prepared for school. So you did your homework in the morning. And when you came home at night, you had your chores and you had, you could play or do whatever you want, but you had to be at the table at six thirty and, and in your chair, so to speak. And, um, uh, not that we had assigned seating, but everybody knew where their chair was, so to speak. And, um, then that as soon as, uh, you know, dinner was over, then you scrubbed the kitchen bathroom and went to bed. 8.30 was your bedtime, and that was it. So that was how we, you know, growing up as far as that goes. I didn't have a a, a grandfather. Both of my grandfathers passed away before I was, uh, before my, uh, like, my mom's, grand uh, her father died when she was, like, five. My dad's <laughs> father died when he was, like, four or five. Um, so I didn't really have any grandfather. But my father was very um, – Involved in our, in our lives growing up, as you can say, a military family would be. And and I can remember my first, I wanted a bicycle, and my dad said, well, let's sit down and, and develop a business plan for this. Mm. So we had to sit down, and I had to calculate out how many, it was a paper route, I was going to get a paper route, and then so how many. People what I'd have to have in my paper out and how much money was it was I going to earn and all this kind of stuff. And so as a little kid, you know, 11, 12 years old, you're sitting there trying to figure all this out. And back then, you know, delivering the papers, uh, the evening paper was the one that and it was like 25 cents a week. So you made a nickel on every uh, that's kind of telling you how old I am. Um, you made a nickel <laughs> on on your route, you know, on that person, you know. So and you had to pay. So I ended up having to pay. You know, that's how I paid off my my bicycle. And then uh, later on, when I got a little older, fourteen, fifteen, um, I wanted to go in the lawn mowing business. Same thing, had to get a lawnmower. So therefore, I had to go through the business uh, p- planning concept. How many yards? Had to cipher all this stuff out, and then make like a little, you know, how to go around knocking on doors and and so I was really became an, un- co call salesperson, you know, when I'm from the time I was like, uh, 10, 11 years old hmm. you know, around knocking on doors and asking people and to, you know, to either join my paper out or let me cut their grass. So, and then, you know, again, growing up as a teenager, uh, my father was military. So that meant short hair and this, that, and the other. Well, not with, not with me, I had to have long hair and I had to do everything different. I was a surfer. I had to go Surfing into the beach and all this stuff, and it drove my dad crazy uh, because you know he wanted me to. You, you'll never amount to nothing with with long hair, and you'll never do nothing, you know, with with uh, that attitude, and you can't surf for the rest of your life, and mm-hmm. you know all that kind of stuff. And and somebody said beach. I was already at the beach. So it wasn't. Right. I, I didn't have to ask. You didn't have to ask me twice. Yeah. <laughs> and and I guess if you grew up in California, it's probably pretty same. You know, that's where it was. That's where all the action was. Where the girls were. That's where everything was. So now the interesting thing, so I come along eighth grade, I mean, 11th grade, and I'm not doing as well in school as I possibly, you know, could. My dad always, you know, knew I was, you know, had some, I didn't put out enough effort. So Tim, what he decided to do was remove me from public school and he put me in military school Hmm. thinking that that would, you know, straighten me up, so to speak. Yeah. But he chose uh, Melbourne, Florida for me to to go to military school. Now, the significant part about that is that's where I did most of my surfing was on the East Coast, which was Melbourne, Cocoa Beach. You know, that's where the waves are. So he found a military school over there called Florida Air Academy, and he proceeded to book me into that. So I went from long hair surfer to short hair living on the surfing coast. And traveling in a pack of four, five, six uh, cadets at a time, because if you got caught out alone, you can only imagine what would happen. And if you tried to date one of the girls, forget that. That wasn't going to happen. You weren't dating a local and, you know, that kind of stuff. So my last year of school was um, was a little different than, uh, than I had expected being uprooted. And, and then, and when I got out of school, uh, the first place I took off to was Jacksonville, went and moved in with my aunt and, um, knocked on her door and said, aunt Velma, can I, can I move in? <laughs> and she uh-huh. she she put her arm around, me. she said, oh, come on in, we'll talk about it. You know, so my uncle Glenn come home and we talked about it. And of course I didn't know at the time, but of course my mother and her talking and they know where I was and all that kind of stuff. But Yep. So that's kind of that's kind of growing up. How how it was around our house. We were always taught to be enterprising, think outside the box. We weren't allowed to say the word "can't" or "you can't do something" because that that fuel that fueled my mother. I mean, if you told her you couldn't do something, she would just. Uh, in fact, she got to a point to where she was cutting "can't" out of the dictionary and say, "Go find it. Go find that in the dictionary." Type thing. <laughs> so, that's awesome. Even my mom was enterprising. She would, uh, of course, being a stay-at-home mom in the military, you found ways. You took in ironing. You took in uh, work. You bought vegetables from the farmer's market. You canned them, and you, you distributed them through the neighborhood and sold them, you know, peddled and, you know, that kind of stuff. You, always, you were always looking for a way to, to, to be enterprising. Mm-hmm. What year was your dad born? Nineteen twenty.
0: Okay, so he when he was in the military, did he actively serve in any wars or anything like that?
1: Yeah, he was in World War II. Um, but okay. inter- interesting enough, he, he was actually a desk clerk in Miami. And he did some other things, you know, as far as Air Force, because you got to remember back those days, Air Force was more about um, intelligence gathering and so forth and so on. And so his responsibility was when these the GIs would come back from the war zones, they would come to these different hotels. They were R&R. They were called R&R. And my dad uh, would actually um, debrief you. That was part of his job, but he didn't do it from a debriefing like under the lights and camera stuff. It was more of, you know, going out and having a beer with a guy or going out and hanging and having lunch or something and just find out what was going on, get, uh, the way he gathered intelligence. Mm-hmm. So that's that was his war duty, was to be based in Miami, Florida, in a hotel, working every other day.
0: Hmm. That's interesting.
1: Not a bad life, right? Yeah. yeah. What was more intense was during the Cuban crisis in the Bay of Pigs, that era, that was what was, uh, because I was you know, about 12 years old at that time. So I got to, you know, I was very much in the middle of of the, the language that was being spoken and the knowledge that was being, you know, not the secret stuff, but, you know, being prepared because, you know, we didn't have shelters. We're in Florida, but you had to be geared and ready to go in case something like that happened. But he's got some interest. He's still with us. He's 97. Oh, Wow. And um still gets around on his own. He's he's a little weaker than he normally is, but he's just a good strong military man that uh, like I said, he's got some stories that um you should put in a book, so to speak. Mm-hmm. He lost his father, so he didn't he didn't know how to be a dad, so mm-hmm. to speak. And so he had to kinda of wing it, you know, he had to kind of figure it out. So the only thing he made it out, he was one of five kids. And he says he made it out because they were, you know, it was all through the depression and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And so the rest of them, you know, they did their thing. Everything was good. But he was the one who got the the Air Force, you know, he went to Air Force then he went um, after he and, and I can remember when he was getting ready to retire. And, and so, of course, I'm thinking about losing base privileges. And I mean, I mean this is really base privileges are really cool. And so I went to him, I said, dad, why are you retiring? And he said, son, I've got, um, if I leave the Air Force now, they're going to give me half my money, half pay. And then I can go and get another job. And then I can get, I'll have, be like working for a time and a half, uh, you know, while I work. And he says, it's really not, it doesn't make any sense to stay in for 10 more years and I'll only work for half your salary. He says, so I'm going to retire. And I said, wow. And he was 42. I'll never forget it. And I said, well, I'm going to retire when I'm 40. And he says, you go for it, son. And when I sold my air conditioning company, I was 38 years old. And not that I could necessarily retire, but I did learn enough about being in business that I created a residual income that lasted for a very long time. I sold it to my employees, and then my employees, you know, they would – pay me based on customers. As long as the customers were doing business, that was the way I structured it. And when I sold it, I had seven over 7,000 customers that were, had done business with me for three years, multiple times over three, three years or longer. Mm -hmm. So so those customers stayed with me, you know, stayed with the company and I got money up until like 2004 that was in 1989 when I sold that. Wow! Again, my dad was like, "Just to give you one of his stories." We couldn't answer the phone back in those days. We had to have a special private line that came to our house, simply because if the base needed him, um, you know, he had to be over. It. So we had to answer the phone in a certain way, and not every child could answer the phone. Like I was the only one that could answer the phone, and until you got to be like uh, 12 years old, there was no reason mhm right so right you shouldn't even be on the phone Yeah, and you had to answer a certain way and and I remember then he went and this is how he thought his life out that he went from air force to the VA hmm. and so he just he was able to transfer his his um seniorities and his numbers and all the his GS ratings and all all that just moved over with him and he just stayed right on with the VA until He turned sixty-two, and then at sixty-two, he retired. And right now, today, Tim, he um, gets—he's a triple dipper, one of the few left in this world that can actually get three government paychecks. Wow! And he cannot spend the money that he makes each month. And believe me, this man tries. (laughs) I mean, he really does. He goes like Hugh goes into his VFW. He's got a little VFW you know, little VFW bar, they, you know, the, where these veterans hang out. And when he walks in the door and he gets, sits up at the bar, as long as he's sitting at the bar, whether he's in his VFW or uh, somebody else's VFW, as long as he's sitting at the bar, no one buys a drink. He pays oh, gosh. for a drink. And I asked him, you know, it's a little heartening, you know, at, at one point I said, dad, why do you do that? And he says, son, you don't know how many times I've walked into a, uh, VFW, all I had on was my uniform. Mm-hmm. I had no money. He says, but I left there drunk. <laughs> <laughs> goals, I, life goals. Exactly. Exactly. Just find <laughs> me a VFW. I need to get. And I'll tell you one other quick story about him. He was a master sergeant. And, and you know, the, back in those days, they really relied on the Master sergeants and those mid-level um, non-commissioned officers to run things because they were hands-on. So my dad was; uh, they needed to uh, go to Jacksonville to check on our radar station. So him, the colonel, and the captain left, and you know, went in a staff car. So uh, the idea is go up there. and My dad was to check the radar and this kind of stuff, and so. After my dad's uh, responsibilities was over, my dad went to the NCO club. And I don't know if you know much about the Navy and the Air Force. They don't really get along that well. So the next thing you know, my dad's in the brig. And so the next morning, the colonel come looking for him because, you know, it's time to go back. And they couldn't find him. So he went to the brig. And so my colonel wiped out all his charges and all that kind of stuff. And they got in the staff car. My dad's driving, you know, headed back home. And the colonel said, my dad says, I bet you you could use a drink about right now. And my dad says, you bet I could. He said, I could really use one. He said, well, there's a liquor store right up the street here. He says, you pull over and and, um, I'll get us a, a fifth. So he does. He pulls over and my colonel goes in, comes out, gets in. My dad pulls off and the colonel hands my dad the bottle. And my dad says, oh, no, 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 you go. You go first. So the colonel takes off the cap, you know, and takes a swig, and so hands the bottle to my dad, and my, and my dad said, son, I only knew I was going to get one swig, so I did. I got a good one. <laughs> Made said, it worth a while. Oh, yeah, he got a good one, and, um, and he handed it back to the colonel, and the captain sitting in the back seat says, Sarge, you want me to drive? <laughs> my dad says, sure, why not? <laughs> he, so now my dad is riding in the back of the staff car. The captain's <laughs> driving, and the colonel's. There, and here, my dad is in the luxury seat. So nice. Uh, but yeah, he's got. Uh, yeah, he's got a lot of. But he's got other stories that not just about him drinking. But in service, <laughs> that's a lot of what those guys do. Yeah. They when they're not working, they're they're certainly they're under so much stress and pressure. Oh yeah. My dad got a uh, call uh, from key, the keys, and the one of the communication trailers had gone out. This is during the Cuban crisis, and so the guy calls up and uh, said he needed a com trailer. So uh, I said, well, dad? What'd you do?" And he says, "Well, I got on the horn to the to the Pentagon, and I found out where one was." I said, "Dad, what'd the colonel say?" He says, "I didn't have time to check with the colonel. I had to get this man a comm trailer." Okay. So he found one in o- Oathes, Kansas, and so he gets it loaded up and. uh, airlifted down to uh, the keys. And so the guy calls up, thanks him for the trailer. And he says, and by the way, Sarge, I need a telephone pole. And he says, now, son, that upset me. And I said, why? And he says, says, well, I got him a comm trailer. I got it loaded aboard a uh, plane. I got a Jeep and two airmen. And I got all that down there for him. And now he's calling up me for a telephone pole. I said, well, what did you tell him? He says, I told him to stick his head out the door and claim uh, claim the first one he saw in the name of the United States Air Force. <laughs> Commandeer it in the name of the Air Force. Yeah. Uh, he actually created uh, what we would call today the uh, the first conference call. Uh, during mm. that skirmish, he back in those days, it was pull and plug. And so he was – He didn't like that his airmen were having to do all this work to get these colonels on the phone to talk about what was going on, Mm -hmm. Langley and Andrews. So he he figured out switches on how to make these things work so these colonels could talk to each other, just pick up the phone and and talk to each other, you know, whenever they wanted to. Wow. And after the skirmish was over, he was ordered to NORAD to go before the commanding officer, and then he was informed that uh, when he got there that— Uh, He uh, needed to dismantle them switches, and the officer said, "Sit over there in that chair, and I want you to sit there for fifteen minutes. And when you get back to that base, you tell him that it was the worst uh, you ever got in your life. (laughs) And that, a boy, son, and keep up the good work." And he went and and my dad got back to the base, and he found out that he had broken all kinds of FCC regulations, interstate trafficking of telephone lines. He cost the government over forty five thousand dollars in fines. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> but they didn't they didn't take the switches down until after the skirmish though.
0: yeah, I'm sure <laughs> that's pretty funny, so you are one of how many kids
1: five from my mom's side, three from my dad's side. My mom had two children when my dad married her, and so growing up, there was five of us in the in the household
0: and then where did you fall in that line of? siblings.
1: I was number 3 in my on my mom's side and number 1 for my dad's side.
0: Okay, so you're right in the middle basically.
1: He, well on my mom's side, it's interesting I met a, a lady years ago and she asked me that same question, where, you know, where was I in the pecking order? Mm-hmm. And she said, "Oh, you got real you're really disturbed. You're the middle child and the firstborn. Mm-hmm. You got some real issues, dude.
0: <laughs> you got the best of well, <laughs> the best of both worlds, sort of.
1: I don't know. I, I don't know if you can put a whole lot of stock in all that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, yep, that's how the, That's how it is. Uh, but I did, growing up, I had an older sister and an older brother who, you know, they were like, you know, they looked after me and, you know, that kind of stuff. Of course, you grow up faster, you know, when you got somebody that's 10, 12 years older than you are. You do grow up a little faster.
0: Oh, yeah. You learn and get to see a lot of things that you normally would not that's for sure.
1: Yeah. My sister would ask to go someplace and my mom says, sure, take your brother with you. Because mm-hmm. she knew I'd just spill to my guts when I got home.
0: Yep. Or <laughs> keep them from doing things that they shouldn't maybe be doing.
1: Exactly. Yuck. So there's, yeah, they're uh, smart growing up. You know, my mom was, um, was a Southern girl born in South Alabama. So uh, you're talking about an upbringing between the Southern heritage and military. So you combine those. And there's not much difference very Southern, uh, uh, bringing up is, is very rigid. You know, a lot of yes, ma'ams, no ma'ams, you know, that type of stuff, you know, honesty, integrity, you know, all of that is you give, you shake somebody's hand, you give them your word, that's it. And that Mm -hmm. kind of goes along with both sides of that.
0: Mm -hmm. And so were you moved about a lot during your schooling years or was it not that kind of moving around military family?
1: Oh no, we moved because of my dad's position. I've lived, I I lived in fourteen different states, and that was all before I was. My dad retired when I was twelve, so I lived in fourteen different. I was at fourteen. I shouldn't say states. I was at fourteen different bases in twelve years.
0: Wow, that's remarkable. So how many
1: how many schools?
0: Let's say from after elementary school on. So uh, from seventh through 12th grade, how many different schools were you at?
1: Well, actually my traveling stopped when I was um, in the fourth grade. So, oh, okay. So uh, I, I started, I started the fourth grade and, and, and never, it was all up into the fourth grade that I moved around. So okay. uh, after the fourth grade, I was, we were, we were in one spot. When you go to base living, it's not like giving rid of all your friends. Like it, you know, you see on these TV shows and mm-hmm. public, you know, like normal people. I should. say, I'm not meaning, <laughs> not meaning that you're abnormal. Yeah, exactly. But my dad says we are. But anyway, because you don't have, you don't develop these long lasting relationships with these these kids. They're in and out too. You know, you 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 may be in a you know a, a grade or a classroom, and then next day the you know your bud's gone type thing. But it's not sad.
0: And you're all kind of. It's normal. Not really expecting it, but yeah, you're you're kind of used to it or knowing that it can happen at any time.
1: Yeah, you grow up knowing, you know, I was six months old. I was on a on a ship headed to Guam.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: First grade I was in Japan. Wow. Second grade I was in Okinawa. (laughs) Third grade I was in Georgia. (laughs) I mean, it's your norm. It becomes that was my norm. So right, I mean, right. It wasn't abnormal at all. Just like when we were, we didn't know we, you know, that we didn't have as much money as the next door neighbor did. Mm-hmm. Because we had, you know, we had.
0: You had what you had. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to that. And I think that that was, that that normal is a lot different than today's normal. I don't know. I may be ha- should think more about that before I make that comment. But I know, you know, there seems to be a lot of my friends and my kids and family's children who I hear a lot more of the kind of keeping up with the Joneses in this day and age than I think I really did. I think for me when I was a kid and I was, I was born in 72. So you know, I was a kid during the late 70s, early 80s when the coolest stuff that was coming out was we were just starting to get the not really the computer boom. But, you know, I didn't really see a computer until I think sixth grade or fifth grade and console video game consoles were starting to come out at that point And that was really the biggest envy point for myself and my brother who's a year and a half older than me i think was you know some of the richer kids had an television or whatever it was and we didn't have one and why couldn't we get one and i think that was kind of the the biggest thing as opposed to like nowadays it's i mean i'm dreading my kids being teenagers let's just put it that way because some of the stuff that i'm hearing from other parents of some of the shoes and even t-shirts that cost over $100 and their kids wanting them because other kids have them is a very, not scary, but is a scary thought to me of what I'm going to be up against as a parent soon.
1: Yep. I think we all go through that where, the, you know, like I, you know, I'm a, i am a have an aversion, so to speak, to t-ball. Because mm-hmm. okay, when I was growing up, there was no there was no such thing as t ball you had to compete and you had to do that so when I look back at your generation, my daughter was born in nineteen seventy two and you know to show up and get a trophy or to everybody wins is it is that mm-hmm. created some of the stuff that we have today, this entitlements and these things that that kids think today that they and I know there's a big disconnect between the baby boomers who now you know pretty much run uh, a lot of the businesses in today's world, and they're trying to hire uh, the younger kids. And there's a big disconnect between the in the communications.
0: Yes, a huge one, and and it's it's t- like I uh, manage an animal hospital, my nine to five, and I do the hiring, and it is difficult because you try really hard not to fall in the trap of the generalization that is so easy that I think you know is normal human nature to want to do that which maybe sometimes is a little bit lazy on our part but that you kind of put somebody into that group of millennials and then you begin with the oh well that means they're all entitled and that means they're all going to want everything handed to them and that means they're going to be lazy and you're going to need to massively inspire them to do hard work and you should expect this and that. And I still get surprised. I still, you know, we still see the people who are completely not that that are in that generation. And so that definitely helps me remember that you can't really just put that humongous Categorization on a very large, significant number of people across the world, but you know there there is always a, a little bit of a reason that some of these things are created as well.
1: Exactly. So I worry more about what my grandkids. My youngest grandkid is um, seventeen. Oh wow! So I have four, and so to see what these kids are going to face, you know, twenty years from now. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, if, if we've gone through this in the last forty years, what are they going to be going through in the next you know, twenty years? Yeah, because it's speeding up faster and faster and faster. I can remember seeing in a seminar years ago where uh, the guy was explaining to us that there was a a time when everybody listened to the radio and they hoped they got a TV. Then right. it was like everybody was hoped they would get a, a color TV. Mm-hmm. And then they the now in today's world. There's a TV in every room color TV in every room um, oh and you're holding
0: so, a TV in your pocket and a computer in your pocket and
1: exactly you know now you can now your phone is a TV yeah, exactly so I mean the and the guy said in the seminar says one day technology is going to be telling us what to do and mm-hmm. you know we we're not that far away right now technology is telling us what to do and and how to perform
0: oh yeah we're in, in the opening stages of automation, I mean, we, we have been for a while, but, you know, I know that you do work with ROI and marketing and all of that. I mean, how much bots are starting to become a much larger thing? And I'm very interested to see how many jobs are going to be automated and non-human In the next even five years, much less like 10 years from now that we just don't realize how much of this is going to be, quote unquote, easily moved over to that.
1: And one of the things I would want to point out to you and and your listeners is that for every, as you called it, bot job, there'll be three people that it takes to control that. Mm -hmm. So we're not losing we're not gonna lose, you know, workability. It's just that you know, like McDonald's now is they're they're shifting some of their restaurants to uh, the bot. Mm-hmm. But they need somebody that to build those, they need right. somebody to serve them, and they need somebody to but there's still gonna be three people that, that are gonna be that they'll take to keep that, that bot moving.
0: Yeah. that there I was talking with somebody about this the other day that I saw a headline And read a tiny bit on it. I believe it's in Michigan that they are about to start an attempt. And I believe Uber is has connected on this with maybe Pizza Hut or something like that, where it's going to be the first self-drive delivery pizza service where uh, not self-drive. I'm sorry, um, like non-human driver. So you are. I mean, so much of that is going to be automated now where you are putting in an order potentially on your app and obviously somebody is making the food and putting it in this self-drive car, but the car is driving from the uh, location to the person's home and they were saying the one downfall, they were kind of joking, was that you would then have to walk out of your house to the sidewalk to pick up your well, pizza I mean, that'd be terrible. <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah that's another step in that and i i know that's the first kind of you can kind of see that launching in many different ways i mean they're kind of tickling on that already with like the uber eats and all those other, other delivery things so once they become more uh auto driving vehicles i guess that will be something that we may see start booming as well
1: That, and and you also know um, Amazon is toying around with with drones. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and they just bought Whole Foods recently, so that's a humongous market for uh, Amazon. So, But like Terry said, that doesn't mean that all of you should do anything drastic. There is a lot of human need still around here.
1: And if anybody wants to read a, a good book, the Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. Um, even in his book, he explains that we're only using about 4% of the Earth's natural resources. So everything around us has been created by by the Earth. Mm-hmm. So No matter what it is, computer, the, everything that we're doing has all been created. But we're not even using all the stuff that we can take the raw materials from this earth and continue to to grow and
0: that's good and part of me is like thinking on that side of a lot of people that are going to scream out of do not cut down more trees do not do more mining and whatever so okay well um bringing it all back more so so you talked about Your kind of schooling and everything, and your siblings—what led to you becoming a a dad?
1: Good question. Um, It started, uh, you know, right after I came back from Jacksonville and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, got married and realized that I probably got married too quick, too early, young. And so then I had my daughter, beautiful young lady, uh, forty. Forty five now, I guess. Right. Seventy two. Yeah. So she's now forty five years old. Hmm. We didn't stay married very long, uh, maybe less than three years. Then got married uh, the second time, a little older this time, obviously bought a house. You know, then I was more a little more stable. Then in 1981, my son was born. So um, two you know two separate wives meaning you have you, you now you have step you know you have stepchildren involved she uh, married a married lady that had two kids and then of course my daughter you know all these things start a new dynamic you know in this world you know so th- things like that went you know we went on and then not too long after we got married in seventy five so in nineteen seventy nine I decided to open up my air conditioning business after being fired out of the car business. It was all because I was good at what I did. I was either number one or number two, sold cars for about five years and um, did very well at it. But I wanted to grow. I wanted to move up in management. And I had this real baby face and young looking guy. And so nobody would, you know, felt like they could trust that. So anyway, so applied for a job, got fired and uh, for, for applying and decided to open up an air conditioning company. Hmm. On a shoestring, $118.42 after paying up our bills and we launched. And fortunately for me, I've I never had to look back from that. Two years later, my son was born. He was born with his esophagus not connected to his stomach. Uh, so immediately um, after being born, he went into three hours worth of um, operation. And he lived in the neonatal unit for about six weeks. And all the while I'm running the air conditioning company and that kind of stuff as well. So you Mm. got camped out onto that and went on with um, developing and growing and a lot of mentors and a lot of people coming in my life and built a great business. Lasted 10 years. 1985, I started um, helping small businesses grow with the intention of. Along this time now, even though it's still, uh, he's only four, I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be great because I'll have my son and I'll be able to um, teach him how to do business. And I'm not a big, you know, I think you should have a good trade, but at the same time, I've got this entrepreneurial spirit in me. And and I know not everybody does, but, you know, I felt like he did because, as he was growing up, he would always have these like little ideas. Like he talked his mom into going to Costco and and buying him a big sack of blow pops, and he sold them at the playground, you know, for, oh. for a quarter apiece. You know, and paid his mom back for the <laughs> bag. And I mean, he was a little enterprising little kid, you know. So I thought, yeah. wow, this is going to be fun, you know, having a, a son to, you know, like Terry and Son, you know, type thing. And so you have all you start having all these visions and all these dreams and. Uh, things that start to come pa- to pass, and you're working hard, and you're trying to do keep a balanced life between family and anybody that's out there. They know that they uh, it's hard to you know to keep your family and uh, going and and your work going at the same time. And so then I left the after I sold my business, I went into the corporate world and started working with doing helping companies turn around, and I was sought after uh, by a company in Miami and went down there, and then. My son even got to, you know, come to Miami and hang with me and do this, and it was a part of the travel industry. So we, uh, we got to experience, uh, that together. I had a, a very long time, you know, a lot of time with him, uh, in growing up and made sure of it, uh, as well. And so after, Taking that company public, and it was all ground stuff, ground level. We started a two-bedroom, two-bath, five of us in a kitchen table type thing. Two and a half years later, we went public. And all the time, he got to share all this with me. And then I went to do uh, – I was liaison between at and wireless, and Metrocall paging. And he traveled with me. You know, uh, we'd go on uh, sales calls together. We'd go on trips together. You know, all this kind of stuff, you know, just hanging – and unfortunately, um, in August of two thousand, two two days before his 19th birthday, I'm doing a training seminar in Orlando and, um, got a call that he had passed away. Oh, wow. And of course that just knocks you, uh, for a loop obviously, oh, yeah. but, the, but the interesting thing was that God is just so wonderful and, what had happened was through a uh, set of circumstances, I had ended up staying at the hotel at uh, a La, Qu- La Quinta uh, in Orlando. And every time I would come into that area, I would stay at this hotel, largely because that when TJ was about five, we had stayed at th- at that same hotel, and we had one of the best weekends Tim we'd ever had in our in our life. I mean, it was just. Nothing but, I mean, we just pushed the furniture away and we just got on the floor and we just really played, you know, not, we swam and played we went to dinner and all these different things and it was one of the best things. But I had happened to have booked my, for my night stay in that hotel and what an interesting place to be when you get that news. Mm -hmm. It was like I wasn't alone, right? So, you know, I had his spirit there and, you know, so then I go to, uh, that was on a Tuesday and then Wednesday head back and, uh, to Tampa. And then Thursday, the, uh, my golf partner, my son-in-law and TJ and I were supposed to play golf together for his birthday. And that was another thing we enjoyed doing together too, was playing golf. And, and so of course my head, I can't keep my head's not in the game and, you know, crying and. Oh, Some yeah. And all the stuff that's going on. You oh, know? Sure. So I tell my golf partner, I said, it's a turn. You guys are going to drop me because uh, I'm messing up your game. And, and my partner says, oh, no, 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 you're going. We're going to drag you through this course, but you're going and through it. And so we make the turn. We're now in the third tee box, Tim, and it starts raining. And there's not a cloud in the sky, not a white one, a blue one, a dark one. There's no cloud. Wow. But it's raining. No way. Yep, and my, you know, I'm feeling, but I'm acting kind of cool about it. I'm not freaking out. Yeah, yeah. And and, because I'm afraid it's just me, you know. And then my son-in-law tells me later, he says, no, he says, "Um, I heard the rain hitting the golf cart. So I just took it away that that was my son's tears saying that um, I didn't mean to, Dad. And um, so what had happened was he had taken a pill called OxyContin, and he just, laid down and went to sleep and never woke up. Uh, Not that he was on drugs. There was Mm -hmm. nothing in his system. There was no alcohol. There was no marijuana. There was nothing else in his system because I was afraid of that. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, he's out of touch. He's a teenager. You know, it's two days before his 19th birthday. You don't know what. He was living in my condo, but it doesn't mean that you know exactly what they're doing. You know, Mm he cleaned it up before I got there, obviously. And you wonder, you know, what's on the other side, you know, that type of thing. And not too long ago, I uh, was fortunate enough to get to watch a movie called um, Is Heaven Real? And it's a true story about this uh, little four year old guy um, who develops appendicitis and he's in a rural area and they have to rush him to the hospital, you know, many miles away. And by the time he gets there, he uh, slips into a coma. And so the dad, um, goes into the sanctuary in the hospital, and he's mad, you know, at God and and kicking chairs and stuff. And the mom goes into another area of the hospital and starts making calls for prayer warriors. And and the the father is a preacher, and he's also a sprinkler, you know, farming rural area. He does uh, irrigation. And so after the son gets better and comes home, he starts talking about heaven, and he's telling his dad, he says, you know, there is a heaven. Heaven is real. And dad's, oh, okay, cool. You know, he's a preacher. Okay, cool. And he says, and, and Jesus has a pony. Hmm. And he goes, really? He has a pony. And he goes, yep. He says, and this all colors, dad. And so he keeps telling these wild little stories coming from a four-year-old. And everybody's kind of being distanced. You know, they're distancing from the church. The church people are distancing themselves from him. The wife is distancing herself. And They're trying to figure out all this going on. And so the little boy keeps letting out these little nuances, you know, and talks about his uh, preacher's grandfather's, the one who uh, who raised him. And he says, oh, I met uh, I met Pop Pop in heaven. Oh, you did? What do you look like? And he starts showing him some pictures. And the little kid goes, no, no, nobody's old there in heaven, Dad. Hmm. And so he went and found another picture of a young man, a picture of his dad. And he says, yeah, that's him. And wow. he never met the guy. He never met this man, you know. Wow. And so then a little later on, he's uh, getting ready for school. And his, he says to his mom, he says, and his mom's real skeptical about this whole thing. And so he said to his mom, he says, you know, I have a sister. And she goes, well, of course you do. It's Casey. She's sitting right over there. And he goes, no, I have a sister in heaven. And she goes, she goes, you do? And he goes, you know, the one that died in your tummy? Oh boy! And this woman cries. She starts breaking out crying, and because the only person, the only people that knew about that was her and her husband, wow! And they didn't even know what what sex the child was because <laughs> it was, they didn't want to know. And the end of this story, everything works out as a typical you know movie does. It works out in the end, and so the dad's on a computer looking up trying to figure out if anybody else has had this this kind of encounter and he's doing his research and it shows a, 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 girl that in South America that had the same type of experience, come back explaining there's a heaven and, and she draws a picture. She has a vivid memory of it. And so she brought draws a picture of what's supposed to be, Jesus and the little boy comes running out the back door and his dad's on the on the back porch and the dad the little boy runs by and sees the picture on on his computer and goes that's him dad and just keeps on running (laughs) Tim it's not like he stops and wants to talk about it he says oh that's him dad and then jets right right on out into the into the playground you know type thing so I can go on for hours and hours about little encounters he shows up in hearts uh, significant hearts are significant and uh, they'll be in the most unexplainable places mm-hmm. and i mean uh, like i've cut up and i like apples for breakfast i've cut open uh apple and and uh, after cutting it open there'll be a heart on the inside of it mm-hmm. hearts and, and you know the other day i was on the beach and and i the sunset was a beautiful you know type thing and so i took a picture of the sunset and i didn't notice but there was a little green orb that was in the picture and i posted it up on facebook and you know cuz it was a good picture and some one of my uh, friends commented says do you see the green orb and i went back and looked and there's sure there's this little green orb you know sitting right there mm-hmm. um, in the in the in the picture and then i went back to my phone and i uh, you know have an iphone and it was on live you know that
0: oh yeah yeah
1: and so i op- looked at the picture and the orb moved wow And I had taken like two or three shots of that sunset. Mm -hmm. So when I looked in each one and every one of them, the orb is actually moving. Mm -hmm. And and there's no bug. There's nothing out there. You know, I wonder what in the world is that all about? Yeah.
0: One of my best friends, his wife, her father died uh, not that long ago. And I can't remember what the connection is, um, but there's some kind of connection that she had with him with hummingbirds. And there will be many times that she's had this same kind of weird kind of thing happen where either she's thinking of her dad at some specific time or uh, there's something going on, like it's his birthday or anniversary or something like that. And there will be just the most random hummingbird that will come and you know, quote unquote, visit her or that she will spot just out of nowhere that always just, you know, really kind of floors her inside and reminds her of her dad. And uh, I've heard a few other things with that. I think one, a friend I have, it was something with maybe pennies or some kind of coin or something. And she would find these pennies like on the street that, uh, or on the sidewalk, uh, when she was thinking about her dad or something like that. So I know that there's definitely,
1: you know, something to that. You have a whole different perspective when your child is in heaven because uh, you think differently from the same point that, okay, let's just relax. Mm-hmm. Let's wait. Maybe this little traffic jam isn't so bad. Mm-hmm. Maybe this little thing that I'm going through right now is is preventing me from doing Uh, something else
0: yeah so with regards to your daughter who is now has your grandchildren and she has more than one you said
1: yeah she has three and then even my son produced a daughter before he left this oh yeah she was born in july and he passed in august so my belief is that his job on this earth was to produce this little girl. Hmm. And now this little girl, um, Michaela is her name. Her mom had raised her all, all these years that I'm the grandfather and that TJ was her father.
0: Hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: She married a guy. They went into, they went into the service. you know, he was in the service and they have two other kids. Hmm. She has never, and she tells a story that, this one was um, she was I was overhearing this. She was explaining it to uh, one of her girlfriends over the summer. Tori was the girl's name, and Michaela's TJ's daughter. And so she says, "Yeah, my um, I was I was about a year and a half, maybe two years old, and my aunt came into my bedroom. Her mom's sister came into the bedroom, and I was laughing. And my aunt asked me what I was laughing about, and, and my response to her was." my daddy's kissing my feet. And so the girl said, oh, that's nice. And she went to walk out of the room, you know? And so Michaela said to her, said, my daddy wants to know if you're still mad at him. Oh boy. And the only person that knew that would have been her. Right. (laughs) Not not my granddaughter. And (laughs) yeah. And the funny thing is, uh, Tim, this little girl has so many little mannerisms that are just like him now, you can mm-hmm. understand that if you grew up with them, you kind of adapt to those things. Your children probably have little quirky things that you do or your wife does. Yeah, type of thing. yeah. But when you, when this little girl was only a month old and, and she never even really met him, mm-hmm. uh, to come up with the, some of the things that this little girl comes up with, um, uh, we were having dinner one night and— with her, uh, with her mom, and we were sitting there, and so I said, "Well, sweetie, how are you doing in school?" And she goes, uh, "I'm okay." And her mom says, "Well, not really that good." And I said, "Really? What's wrong?" She goes, "Well, she's a D, maybe C at the best." And I said, "Well, well sweetie, why, why aren't you, you know, spending more time in school and doing your work?" She goes, "Her mom says, well, it's largely because she doesn't do her homework." And I said, "Sweetie, why don't you do your homework? You got to do your homework. You know, I'm an education guy. You know, you got to do this." And she goes, "Well, I do my homework." I just don't turn it in. And I said, then why do you do it mm. if you're not going to turn it in? Do do it? And she said, well, I have intentions of turning in. And she says, but I have two lockers. And her mom goes, two lockers? And I go, I got this. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, I said you've talked some kid out of their locker, so you don't have to carry your books all around school, so you can just go and get your books when you need them. And she looked at me, she goes, how do you know, granddaddy? I said, that's something your dad would have done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can't beat them. You can't beat that logic, right? I mean, yeah. you got to get to the homework. you got to get that in the part. But but if he was that way, he would always think of these little things that you couldn't argue with him on.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, again, I very much appreciate you taking the time to make sure that we got all of this recorded for not only for us and not only for others, but uh, for your family as well. I talked to a lot of people about that, that that's Kind of what this whole thing really was sprouted from for me was my losing my dad when I was 17 years old and thinking about, you know, the things that I never got to learn from him uh, because I wasn't yet ready for them. And my desire to pass a lot of those things on to my kids who are now young and I'm, you know, I'm not a spring chicken anymore and hoping that they'll be able to get something out of some of this documentation, and my desire to do that for a great many, as many people as I possibly can, out there that are in uh, very diverse walks of life in the world. So uh, I appreciate you contributing to that as well.
1: Well, thank you for having me on, and I think this is a great cause that you're doing here. Um, it's, you know I've only been on them uh, maybe six or eight. Podcast, but I've never been on one like this, that's for sure. So, and I'm very, it's, it's, it's very exciting. It's an earmark, breaking ground on a new, new venture. I'm trying. I, I really hope that. Yeah, thank you.
0: Uh, well, again, you can find uh, Terry on his, his website is terryogburn.com, and that's O G B U R N, but you probably are seeing that on all of the episode stuff. And is there anything else that you want to? throw out there, Terry?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd like to offer the your audience uh, an offer. And that is uh, spend a half hour with me uh, in a coaching concept uh, where we'll go over a situation or something that you're struggling with. Uh, any facet of business, it could be anything from infrastructure, money, marketing, two words there, money and marketing, uh, sales, any part of it. Um, just simply go to terryogburn.com uh, up in the right-hand corner, you'll see a box there. That says Contact us. Click on that button there, and it'll uh, drop, uh, drop down will appear for you just to sign in and you know get, send a, a request of uh, the information you want to talk about. We'll schedule a time. I'll spend a half hour with you. I promise, no sales pitch. Strictly work. We'll roll up our shirt uh, shirt sleeves together and um, see if we can't come up with a solution for your for your problem.
0: Mm, That's great. Thank you for throwing that out there for them. So make sure you all take advantage of that. You can also find him at Twitter. All right. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Okay. And that is the end of my conversation with Terry Ogburn. Terry, I, again... I know we talked a bit afterwards, but I wanted to thank you again for being on the podcast. I hope you all got a lot out of that, and I hope you maybe had those little envelopes in your brain pushed a little bit with those topics that we covered together. So, again, you can find us on Stitcher Radio, on TuneIn Radio, on Google Play, all of those different things for you Android users. And, you, of course... Of course, we're on iTunes for all of you Apple and iDevice users, but you can also find us on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook as Daddy Unscripted. Find a little different additions to the episodes there. And I would love for you to leave me a review, leave me a rating, Uh, send me an email at daddyunscripted at gmail.com so we can get some input and some more uh, ideas for guests to have on much like how Terry came to me. That would be great. And leave us a note. Let me know what you think of this conversation and what you'd like to see from future conversations We're working on some, well, I am. I keep talking we as if I've got some kind of assistant, but I don't. I'm doing all this work on my own. But I am working hard on getting some uh, really fascinating guests next And in these next couple of months, and we've got some things happening in the background that I can't really talk about now. That makes it very mysterious and interesting. And you all are getting very excited, I can tell. So uh, keep your ears and eyes peeled for that kind of stuff. But new episode should be coming out in two weeks. So I'll let you know about that. And again, I will say a big thank you to Umphreys McGee for providing the music for all of these episodes and allowing that partnership to happen between the podcast and them. So make sure you check out umphreys.com and find where they are playing near you or how to listen to some of their music outside of just my podcast. They will, they will melt your faces or just melt your brain parts. But make sure you check out Umphreys McGee. In the meantime, make sure you tell your family and friends about the Daddy Unscripted podcast. It's always cool when I wear my shirt around as dorky and nerdy as that feels when I have people come up to me and say, I've heard about your podcast. That's always a good pat on the back. And so I'd love to have more people saying that they've heard about the podcast and that depends on you. So I believe in you. And we'll have our next episode out in two weeks from now should be dropping on next Tuesday or Wednesday, and I'll have more information on that as I am ready to release it. So have a great couple of weeks.